Hello and welcome to this episode of our York Ending Stigma Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. So here at York Ending Stigma, we're all people with our own experiences of mental illness, mental ill health, poor mental health, however we want to describe it for ourselves. And we're sharing our experiences to help challenge some of those negative stereotypes, bust myths, and to share our experiences and people can take from that what they will. Today, we're going to be talking about the subject of mental health and being a carer. And before we start and introduce um, the guests we've got on our podcast today, I just want to quickly explain what we mean by that, by being a carer. So according to the NHS, because we want a a reputable source and a a, um, reference if you want to go and find out more information, but the definition for the purpose of this podcast is a carer is anyone who looks after a family member, a partner or a friend who needs help because of their illness, frailty, disability, etc. And that that person cannot cope without their support of that carer. So that's what we're talking about today. All will become clear as we start sharing our experiences. But before we do that, it'd be handy for you to know who I've got here with me today. <laughs> so to hear, here today, I'm joined by three of our wonderful York Ending Stigma champions. I'm here with Miles. Hello there. Dan. Hello. And Reese. Hello. And what we'll do is we'll just briefly introduce ourselves and a bit of a background to the subject today, which is, of course, mental health and being a carer. Um, so for me, um, my name is Emma. I, In terms of my experience of being a carer, I was not the primary carer, but I don't know if secondary is the right word, but <laughs> a carer for my dad. Um, my dad um, was diagnosed with young onset dementia a very, very long time ago. Now, um, him and my mum were both retired at the time. And my mum was the primary carer for my dad. Um, He was diagnosed with mixed dementia. So he had vascular dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And as the conditions um, progressed and his severity of his symptoms worsened, my mum found she could not cope on her own. And I spent seven months living back with my parents, um, not working at all and helping to care for him. And then unfortunately, my dad's condition deteriorated such that he lived in hospital for quite some time and also in care homes he wasn't able to to walk to move to talk to do things for himself so he he simply couldn't be in the family home and um, so that was for the past few years of his life i'm talking in the past tense and um, because my dad did pass away in 2019 so i'm talking about my historical experiences as being a carer in terms of the link with my mental health I've always struggled with my mental health um, from childhood, from being at primary school. And as we get into the podcast, we'll have some discussions and delve into whether my sort of role as being a carer. I think that's a whole other question as well. I wouldn't even back then have identified as being a carer. Something else to talk about, but how that impacted on my mental health or not. But enough from me. And let's hear from you, Miles. And what's your experience on this subject? Yeah, thank you, Emma. Um... Yeah, I'm coming from the perspective of um, I'm currently a carer for my elderly mum. She's 88 and she's lived with um, onset dementia, um, diagnosed four years ago. Uh, she still currently lives independently, but I have watched the sort of uh, progression of the dementia and more and more of the responsibility for caring for her has kind of sat with me. Um, so essentially uh, i'm now kind of her legal guardian um, but i have kind of the practical the practicalities of of looking after her household while she's still living there but also it's the emotional side of things and as the dementia has progressed um it's my own sort of struggles with understanding it and, and obviously watching somebody who i love dearly um being less sort of my mum um and having to to sort of manage her expectations manage my own expectations as well of just watching somebody slowly progress into uh, a state where she may know you know i don't know when this will happen but uh, she currently is independently living but more and more of the kind of telltale signals are coming that that's looking more and more likely that she's not going to be able to do that moving forward so it's the emotional baggage she lives 20 miles away from me so um, I'm always on hand by phone. I'm regular visitor to her. I do all of her household stuff, but um, and keep on top of all her finances. But it's kind of running a second household alongside my own. 
um, my sort of background with my own uh, mental ill health is just um, for decades um, I've lived with uh, depression, anxiety, um, isolation myself. So um, I do very much understand uh, parts or aspects of her world as well in terms of that isolation and not quite knowing what's going on. Um, so yeah, um, it's great to be be part of this and to be able to listen to to the other participants as well. So I'll leave it there for now. Emma. Thank you, Mars. And already lots of things to pick up on. Just just you mentioning about the the, the twenty miles away, the practicalities. I was living hundred mi- hundreds of miles away, which is one of the reasons why I ended up leaving my job. You know, it was complex. It wasn't just that reason, because the toll not just is the the practical the financial the everything toll and i i forgot to say i was in my early 30s um, when my dad first diagnosed as well that was a whole different world when dementia seems to be associated solely with the elderly i know it's primarily with but yeah the lack of understanding from other people as well affects my mental health but again before we get onto all of these things so already miles picking up lots of things from your experience dan um how do you kind of arrive to this podcast what's your experience um, well, I looked after my mother towards the end of her life. Um, she had some dementia and she had cancer as well. So I actually moved in with her to look after her. And um, I have my own mental health issues. I've got obsessive compulsive disorder. I've had it for years. And obviously, while I looked after my mother, that impacted on my mental health and I had to find ways of dealing with it. And as I gave her emotional support and uh, her dementia wasn't severe. I mean, I suppose the cancer was the the worst thing, but um, she was a bit in and out of sort of the dementia. But it it did that did it did upset me quite a lot while it happened, and it, and I did find it difficult. And I I gave her a lot of emotional support, and uh, and it did impact my mental health. But I did find ways of dealing with this, and I did find ways strategies for managing it. But eventually, she died, and that was very difficult. So um, that's really where I'm coming from. Thank you, Dan. I think it's important what you mentioned. And there's no denying, and we certainly don't do this false positivity at York End in Stigma. You know, being a carer is and can be very difficult. But I find it encouraging that you've just mentioned strategies, things to help. Definitely want to come back to that for for our listeners who are maybe Mm -hmm. in a similar situation or about to be in a similar situation. And... um, yeah, this is, this is not the dementia podcast, so don't don't don't, don't worry. You know, um, it's about being a carer. So, yeah, Dan, for you, the the primary um, source of you needing to be a carer was your mum's cancer. Yeah, absolutely um, valid. Uh, Reese, how are you coming to this podcast? What's your experience? Hello, Emma. Thanks. Um, from my my experience, I was the primary carer for my mum, who had the aggressive form of vac- vascular dementia and Alzheimer's. And the added one of the added complications is mum lived 250 miles away, and we were we did our best to keep her in our own home until the very end. So. <clears throat> Well, at the time, um, that, that, so my, I cared for my mum for five years. So at the time, I had no knowledge of or understanding of mental health because I hadn't had to access any sort of support. And it was only after I had a serious mental health illness come crisis that I sought help. And it was only from that point. So having cared for my mum for four years it was only at that point that I started getting support from my own mental health. Well Risa quite different in that respect from myself and Miles and Dan where we say we've struggled if that's the right word for each of us in various different degrees with our poor mental health from childhood. For you Reese, and I don't know you weren't saying it and there's, a, there's this thing about causation and a causal link. Do you think Reese, for you being the carer for your mum, and I don't want to imply any feelings of guilt or blame or whatever by by accident of this question. It simply is a question because I don't know. Do you think it was the, the fact that you were a carer? Do you think that was what took its toll on your mental health? Or like a lot of things in life, was it a factor of many? I'm just really interested. Before we go to the others to see how being a carer impacted on our already not not great mental health but for you Reese, you're in a different position to the rest of us um any thoughts on that yeah I mean I was as I say I worked all the way through and 
I managed to keep the work going all the way through. But it was being the carer, it was being the expectations of others, the expectations of myself, always thinking you could do better, the development of guilt because you're not doing enough. You have people saying, coming and complaining at you who lived in the same village but didn't actually bother to go and visit my mum. And then when they did, they just gave me hell. And uh, it just took its, it took its total toll on my whole being. But it was my mental health that broke. Thank you for being so open and honest about that. And obviously our listeners can't see us, but I was really nodding away to what you said about expectation of, from others and expectations of self. And I experienced things in a slightly different way because I, I was um, working, I had professional qualifications. I was a chartered civil engineer. I was working for big global engineering consultancy firm on the kind of equivalent of what they'd call, you know, the fast track to CEO pathway and all the rest of it. And I resigned to go home to help care for my mum. They didn't know until I told them I was using annual leave to give my mum respite so she could go on holiday. And I would stay with my dad when he was still obviously living at home and all of these different things. And yet expectations of others. So when I um, handed in my resignation for that job, honestly, everybody's opinion was how I was throwing away my career. <laughs> I mean, it's a career I no longer do. And I don't I don't pay my professional subscriptions to that membership anymore. I can no longer call myself a chartered engineer. You know, life moves on, life changes. And part of my experience of being a carer actually made me think more about my own mental health. And in a funny way, my mental health has actually improved, I think. We'll come on to that more later. But Reese, I think that's so important. Expectations of others, but then expectations of self for me personally I feel at peace I feel I made the decisions that I wanted to make at the time I had an amazing seven months living where I was at whilst he was still well enough where every day I saw him he couldn't drive anymore at that point and all the rest of it and was was starting to think he didn't have children so I had to stop calling him dad and I called him by his first name however we had quality time out, you know, trips out in the car, trips out wherever, you know, whatever. So in terms of expectations of self, it sounds like we were almost opposite, Reese. but I want to come back to you to make sure I've got that right, because I feel like I'm at peace. I did what I could do in the situation and the second. Yeah, I could have done things, you know, there's 10 ways to skin a cat or whatever the phrase is. I could have done it differently, but I feel at peace. But Reese, I really picked up on what you said about expectation of others you articulated really clear about others I just want to come back to you before we then go back to Miles and Dan but when you said expectation of self I get the sense from you Reese, knowing you as I do which is you know fairly limited that you're probably going to say you didn't do enough but I don't want to preempt that <laughs> so I want to ask you how did you feel and what were your expectations um yes it's a good question I guess the my expectations were that, looking back on it now, that you were looking to try and keep my mum in some um, semblance as I knew her. Yeah. Because I, I had to accept early on that the mum I was caring for was no longer my mum. It was yeah. a different person in the same body. And it, especially being 250 miles away and working full time all over the country, yeah. you just had to keep plodding away. And then you think things happen. Like I got a phone call at 1.30 in the morning, one Friday, uh, one Friday morning saying, ah, your mum's had a house fire. She's left, she's left something on and it's burnt and the fire department's been in. You then have to deal with social services. You're then thinking, can I do this better with services? You're then looking at saying, what can you do more around the house? But your time's limited because you've got to balance. You've got your own life to do as well. I felt guilt about Sorry to interrupt you, Reese, but I felt guilt about that. I felt guilt like I didn't go on holiday. I didn't do X, Y, Z because I... As, and again, it's that looking back on it, 
it's the yeah you use the word expectation which I think is right it's like should this should that should have been in it and it's not that I and I had personal choice I, I could have just carried on working I didn't have to choose to, you know and it's complex and there's multi things about it but just hearing you speak has reminded me because it's easy to look back isn't it but it's just reminding me that actually there were things I didn't do because I felt guilty and what if he became worse whilst I wasn't there and that kind of thing so oh gosh it's so complicated um yeah I, I really relate to that Reese. I just want if we can Miles your situation because the person you're caring for your mum Mm-hmm. is still alive so again you're it's all different perspectives isn't it and yeah I, I'd be good to hear um sort of live as it were um how you feel and how it does it can you relate yeah, to what Reese and I have said yeah. I just yeah just listening to Reese has really got me thinking um I guess for me um yeah mum is still independently living but um I do have that guilt bit there because she is only 20 miles away. But, but you know, if I go and visit her, it's actually a four hour round trip. If I spend 10 minutes yeah. with her, it takes four hours out of my day. Wow. And, um, you know, my life is, is where I live at the moment. And um, I've battled with myself to say, shall I just move in? Shall I do that? But actually the practicalities and the realities because of my own support network around my own mental you know my own ill health um, a lot of my support network for me um, is based where I live um, and if I was to move back in with mum then the reality is I would lose my own support network so ultimately my own mental well-being would start to suffer because I wouldn't have access to that or I'd have much less limited access to it so that kind of guilt thing on there but um, I'm currently going through the phases where as mum's dementia has progressed, um, you know, I can get phone calls at any time, you know, through the night, through yeah. the day, scenarios happen. And then I'm in a mad panic and I try and get across where I can, but I use public transport. Um, yeah. And then I get there to find that on the odd occasions that hasn't actually happened. Um, yeah. She had a very yeah. good supportive neighbour, but that neighbour moved out about 18 months ago who sort of just used to keep an eye and stuff. So I had a sort of support network there. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it, I have to, I have to be there for my mum because, you know, five, six years ago, I was in a really dark hole and, and my mum was worried sick about my, me, actually, as her son. And it's almost a little bit like a role reversal now because, you know, my mum lives daily in fear because she's very fearful of that she doesn't recall things. She's very fearful or she doesn't quite know her circumstances, where she is or what happens. Um, and it's that reassurance, I guess, is the, what I'm providing to her at the moment and trying to keep a sense of normality. Um, but I have to sort of bear that normality with, you know, when the fifth phone calls come in 20 minutes on the same topic, I have to sort of temper my own frustrations and just say, that's the fear speaking from mum. That's not your mum. That's just the illness that's coming out. But um, so I guess what I really try and draw on as a carer is I take myself back to those dark periods that I had five, six years ago um, and sort of kind of put myself when when something occurs with mum, I kind of try to place myself back four or five years ago to try and lean on what I understood and what I think she's sort of feeling today. I can't speak for her, but I kind of go back and I have that kind of empathy on it. But um, it's such a difficult one because, as you say, there are expectations of others. Um, I just want to do the best I can for mum, but I know I can't do everything. Um, But it's that guilt of just knowing that I should be there. But I know that my mental ill health would seriously be impacted if I was to go in and do the right thing and move and live with her. But that would only last a matter of months before I became really unwell myself. And then there'd be two very very poorly people living in the same house. And it would be a burden then on other people because I'm not able to access professional support because mum won't won't cater for 
she barely caters for family members coming into the house so to actually bring strangers in you know I've got a social worker that's linked with her but we did a small trial period to see if we could get somebody coming in to try and support but she just got in a real panic and an anger and a rage about that so we tried it it didn't work um but she's very fearful she doesn't leave the house she's very you know very concerned about that so um it, it's a it's a daily working thing emma but but i totally get the the responsibility is is quite quite impactful um but i know that at this stage i just do the best i can yeah thank you mal and it's been really interesting because it it's difficult for uh, certainly i can only speak for myself but looking back you know with those rose tinted you know how it was was you know was it how i remember it to be so really important to hear your perspective a couple of things like you said a lot there's a couple of things I picked up in particular one was about loneliness and isolation so that's something um that I want to come back to you know I was I didn't really speak about my dad being unwell it didn't occur to me and certainly not with my colleagues it's like why would they want to know what's the point I'm at work to work you know and and not getting support I didn't know because my dad was young um all of my friends that I grew up with school and what they've still got both their parents so I was the first in my group um to have a parent become unwell and to, to subsequently go on and pass away so I didn't get that support and, and, and didn't think about it and I think Miles it's so good that you are thinking about your own mental health and I actually you know you said just end up with two unwell people in the same building I think that's so important um so something I want to come back to um is about loneliness and isolation because I think um, it can be, and certainly for me, at times, although I had my mum, I felt isolated a bit from my friends because of it. You know, I had to move away, I had to, you know, leave my job. This, I didn't have to, you know, I chose to. And then the other thing that I'd really like to hear from each of you about, and Dan, we haven't heard from you for a while, so I'm going to come to you first, but just the word carer. I didn't identify as a carer. My mum didn't identify. Who knew? So for anybody listening, there is this thing called the Carer Support Centre that happened, um, certainly in England. They seem to be dotted around around the country. I think it's um, your local council, local government run. It must be something that they're mandated to provide. So these things do exist, but uh, you can get benefits <laughs> be it financial be it things that let you into different places or you can go in free to places if you want to take the person you're caring for out and about so all these things me and my mum we had no clue we didn't ask for help I think that that was the thing until it got to breaking point so I think for me talking about the subject of you know mental health caring being a carer I just think talking and being open and honest is so important so I didn't identify as a carer and I still don't. It's just the language and terminology that's used. You know, it was my dad. So um, so with all that said, I think, Dan, if we can come back to you, because we've not heard from you for a little while. Did you, like, had you heard of the word carer? Did you identify as a carer? Did you ask for help? Did you get support? I'm just interested on that. So, Dan, how was that for you? Um, y- yes, I did identify as a carer. I... Uh... Probably for the last four years of my mum's life, um, I did look after her. I moved in with her. Um, I did. I did see myself as a carer. I actually, I lived with her during the lockdown. That was difficult, and um, wow. And I, I cared for her. I was working at the same time. Luckily, my job, my job was a bit quieter in that period, so that enabled me to both do my work at home and look after her. And I did identify as a carer. But um, there were, well, it was difficult, very difficult in that period to get help as a carer. Um, I was wanted to bring carers in to look after her, but because of the lockdown, I was really oh. worried about her having COVID. Really, so uh, yeah, of course. and that caused a lot of worry in me and anxiety. And I really want, but I, for the last sort of six weeks of her life, we did get carers in who were excellent and sort of gave her the end of her life. It was really positive in that sense and she didn't have to go into hospital but I I was constantly worried that I couldn't get this caring support for her and that sort of impacted on my mental health and worries and things and and I had to try and make sure I looked after myself I had exercise I kept in touch with friends I sort of um, tried to relax really so and tried to look after myself but having said that things like my diet and my sort of drinking a bit of alcohol and that didn't help so I had to try and manage all these things really and I did 
I did really, I, I did manage to exercise most days and that helped. But yes, I, I did identify as a carer, but it was very help, hard getting that help. And but, but as I mentioned, towards the end of her life, we've got that help and it did make a real difference to her. And it made me feel better that I got that help anyway. Thanks, Dan. And that's remind me, I know at the start of this podcast, we um, identified what we need as carers, but I suppose it's just important at this point to make the distinction. I might not get the language right, but hopefully we can get the gist. So when you're saying about bringing carers in, that to my mind is professional carers. So people who are employed in the caring profession to either do home visits, if it's to help with mealtimes or showering or so there's, I I suppose just to, make that distinction is um because the word carer you know applies to both but when we're talking about our personal lived experiences we're talking about you know I, i've said i would you know i used to be a chartered engineer you know i had no background in health and social care so just um just for our listeners it's that distinction so when we, we're using the word interchangeably but when we're talking about ourselves we don't mean in a professional capacity but of course mm. whilst being a carer for our loved ones we will maybe maybe not for all of us but at some time had professional carers oh gosh I can't even speak now professional carers come in to either support us with supporting our person or directly support our person um Reese, really interested to hear from you on this subject of did you identify with being a carer did you get did you talk about it you said you were working as well did you tell your colleagues i mean i just didn't until i resigned <laughs> No, I didn't. Um, I didn't tell my colleagues um, even after I'd had the mental health crisis. I oh, still wow. didn't tell my colleagues. Wow. Okay. Um, I just kept on working through. Um, and at the time, I I didn't recognise myself as a carer. Yes. Uh, it's only now that where I'm getting somebody who's looking after me. For, because of my health issues, that okay. I suddenly acknowledge that yes, it, the support that's given by family and friends is actually caring, is a carer, because it is due to um, illness and mental health issues. Reese, can I just pick up on that point? Because I think it's really, really important. Um, you know, obviously we're talking about mental health and being a carer, that, that's the title of our episode. But I think you've just touched on a really important point there because when we go back to that definition of the person being supported wouldn't be able to cope without that support, many a times have I said to, to, to friends, and, and now I'm in a much better place with employment and I'm open with colleagues and whatnot, I do say on occasion to people, I would not cope without your support and I feel really guilty, I feel like I'm not good enough and all this kind of thing. But I think, but I don't consider any of my friends or colleagues to be my carer. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting point, the interplay between our own mental health, being a carer for someone else. But obviously, if as our result of our role of being a carer for someone else negatively impacts on our mental health more than it would normally, and then that results in us, need, you know, Miles, you've touched on as well about, um, you know, what are the reasons why you have got your boundaries set where they are in your current caring role for your mum is to protect your own mental health. And you mentioned about losing your support network. So I think, Reese, I'm sorry, I'm having a slight segue, but I think what you've said is really, really important because it's a different relationship. And I wouldn't, maybe it's stigma and stereotypes as well. Like, I don't feel like I am cared for in that inverted commas of, of care. But when I think about it and what you've just said, and we think about that definition from the NHS at the start, is, well, yeah, but then maybe as human beings, can any of us, what does coping on our own mean? So, oh, I've gone a bit philosophical. So I think, Reese, I'm going to hand back to you because you might have wanted to say something else. But I think that's really important. You've got me thinking, and you'll probably get our listeners thinking as well. So thank you for that point, but I'll let you carry on. Okay. Um, uh, so, so I didn't recognise myself as a carer. And... With the just the impact on my mental health, when I was um, after I'd had my mental health crisis, I got counselling, and because before before I had the crisis, 
I would get angry with my mum because she'd phone and go on about something and go on about it and on about it. And I'd get angry and I'd get frustrated. And you come off and it takes like two hours to wind down because you just, everything's just packed, goes round and round in circles. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. But I, through my counselling and through the counselling, I did some, I did some mindfulness. So eventually, um, we're talking about only about two or three months before my mum passed. I actually managed to have a telephone conversation where she, for an hour, it was the same question, what day it is, what time it is, what day is it, what time is it? And I managed to get through that whole conversation without getting angry, without getting agitated and um, coming away from it feeling that I had actually achieved something for myself. Yeah. And it sounds as though you had, Reed, because, again, I, I'm not sure, even though I said I'm at peace with my sort of behaviours and actions when I was helping to care for my dad, I don't know if I ever reached that state <laughs> of, you know, because it is frustrating. And, and as human beings, and certainly I can only speak for myself, you know, you know, there is guilt, but there's also resent, there's anger, anger, you know, my friends, their their dads weren't dying, you know, there's all of these other mm. things, but we can only control what we can control. And I think um, it would be really helpful to hear if there's more things that you're just thinking of our listeners and, and, and Miles, you know, going through things at the same time. I can see your facial expression when Reese. I think there's some learning that could potentially be done here. So, so Reese, obviously for you, mindfulness seems to be something positive to help your mental health whilst you were a carer um is there anything else that you did or in hindsight i mean i can i will chip in later on with in if i have known then you know what i know now type thing oh yes isn't the world a different place but apart from the mindfulness which sounds really helpful for you reese anything else the 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 big one of the big things we did um just after my dad passed um before I became a carer for my mum, was we, we enacted the power of attorney for health and oh, finances. Yes. Yes, it was absolutely. so important to have that because you've got all the medical issues. You can imagine number of different types of consultants you're going to see. You've got hospital visits. You've got to be able to make decisions and you have yeah. to have the authority to make those decisions. And we were so pleased that we very early on after my dad passed, we actually got the papers all sorted out. We got my mum assessed by a solicitor slash lawyer slash attorney that said, "Um, yes, there's sound mind and body at that time. So we could be able to get all the papers signed off and then enact it. Really important, Reese. And I um, obviously our listeners can't see us. Um, I was nodding away to that as well because similar thing. I and this stuff entered my world. I'd never heard of power of attorney, and again, it was through randomness of my mum talking to someone else. Do you know what I mean? Like there wasn't, there didn't seem to be. Oh, my dad got a diagnosis of of, of the, in his case mixed dementia. There then wasn't any pathway or support, and oh, and you need to think about X, Y, Z. It was all. So I think the more we can share and lessons learned, and although Reese. That wasn't directly linked to your mental health. I certainly know for me, and I get the impression the same for you, if we hadn't have had those paperwork and things in place, life would have played out in a different way. And I think to a, it would have had the stress and strain that that would have then added to our mental health. Uh, um, go on, Reese. Yes, it would have. I mean, without it, could you imagine the stress of trying to deal with a dementia consultant who would only take things through your mother who your mother has gone through is in now an an aggressive state of Alzheimer's without having that power of attorney to actually say please just wait a minute this is what the situation actually is or let's agree that yes you've got um, an overactive thyroid an underactive thyroid but let's agree with the consultant that it's not really going to make much difference if my mum has the treatment or not. 
and as it's difficult to have that treatment just let it slide and make those okay. decisions I think all of these things, like it's, it, it's very complex when it comes to mm. capacity and decision making, but certainly the legalities. And for any of our listeners thinking about things, you know, we're not experts. Um, as far as I'm aware, nobody on here is, is a solicitor. We're not medical doctors. <laughs> so the decisions to do and don't take medication, you know, we're not suggesting or saying anything. It's personal decision. But what we are saying is, particularly when it comes to things like power of attorney, you know, it's worth looking into these legal things and your rights sooner rather than later. Whilst people have got capacity, whether it's ourselves, concerned about our own mm -hmm. mental health or for our loved ones. Miles, we've not heard from you for a little while, but I felt when Reese was talking earlier, um, I could be wrong, but I got the sense you were like going to say something. So I just wanted to bring you back into the conversation. Yeah, thank you, Emma. Um, yeah, I think just speaking about the the legalities and everything that Reese has just talked about, it's just taken me a year to actually obtain a court of protection for mum's affairs, um, wow. and the actual wrangle of having to try and do that uh, with a offer of click this link, click that link, read wow. this bit, and trying to do it without involving the legalities and you know the, just the the whole minefield of trying to put the applications together, trying to get the right people in, trying to get the supporting evidence to do that, actually preparing to go to the court and sit in front of a court, a high court judge and that kind of stuff. And all of the all of the loopholes that you have to go through, uh, it's taken me a year to do it. And it's only in the last couple of months. But as Reese says, it's so vital now because there are some decisions that I can do legally and I have a piece of paper to be able to say I have the authority to do that. So for the two years, I wasn't able to. And people will believe what mum was saying. And they were saying, and, yeah. you know, it, it took that long to get it properly diagnosed, but legally in place. It was a real frustrating time because there was clashes um, about what her what her wishes were and what were the practicalities and there was different members of the family and stuff and that kind of stuff and oh well we want to do this and we should do this for mum and let's not do this and you know having to have that responsibility was you know it's quite huge and it sits with me sits with me today because you know I have to I have to explain any actions to the court etc um, I only a couple of weeks ago I had a session with one of the, the court officers. Um, and I felt like I was being interrogated and I hadn't done anything. I'd gone into, yeah. I'd gone in and I'd gone in just thinking, oh, it's just a review. Everything's tickety-boo. And then the actual, not barrage, that's the wrong expression, but just this intensity of have you done this and what about that? And when did you question that? And why did you do that? And I was like, Jesus, you know, if I wasn't in a reasonably decent mentally fit state, yeah. I'd have just said, do you know what? Have it all back. But then mum's the only loser in that because the court would then appoint a stranger. Um, yeah. So there's the pressure of having to do that as well, which I don't think anybody recognises. But it's it's a job almost in itself to keep on top of that because I have to literally do everything around her finance, everything around her house, everything around her pensions, benefits, etc. You name it, her bank accounts and everything and, you know, have to make sure that we're on top of it. So you know, having to live my life, but actually living mums as well. And the responsibility that if somebody questions it, I have to justify everything. And thankfully, you know, I'm a relatively organised person. So if someone asks for something, I'll probably have it to hand. But I could quite easily, yeah. if, my, if my mental health took a dip, then it could all fall apart quite quickly. I um, think Miles, one of the, the biggest takeaways I've got from what you've said, as well as, you know, getting across how difficult it is, and it's almost like managing two people's lives, but you haven't got full control over both the lives type thing. But one thing that's really struck out for me, which I think all of us, you know, we can make choices of how we think, act, behave today, tomorrow, etc., is having these conversations early and upfront as human beings we don't like to think about or for the most part I can't speak that was a really sweeping statement let me let me rephrase it so for myself I don't think about my death I don't tell people whether I want to be cremated have a funeral people don't know where, whether I've got an ISA or not on my paperwork but actually not just my mental health I could become more unwell than I, you know I, I live daily with poor mental health but 
equally I cycle to work I could you know you know touch wood and all that and it's not going to happen but I could get knocked off my bike have a head injury and not have mental capacity but but do we have these open and honest conversations you know about what we want and and our wishes and different things and not in a morbid way and not in a kind of ruminating dwelling on it away but this kind of this positive purpose of we all want to hopefully you know live a good life we want our friends and families and fellow citizens to live a good life a happy life as a well life whatever that means for each individual and I think communication I think every time I do a podcast it comes down to open honest communication I think what I would like to pick up on because time whizzes by on these things and Dan we've not heard from you for a while and you started to talk about this it's about but anybody who's listening who is in a caring role particularly so we can draw on our past experiences not in miles your current experiences we can't turn back the clock so Reese and Dan for you and I our loved one in that circumstance has died and passed away but who knows we might care for other people in the future we don't know but we've got our experiences to draw on historically Miles you've got your current experiences but it's kind of um I'll come to you first Dan because you started to speak about this what are the things that you did in your caring role that helped to prioritize your mental health help to keep you as mentally well as possible because it is a struggle I'm not going to gloss it over Mm. it is stressful it's frustrating it's difficult being a carer at times we also get pleasure from it but you know what what is it and then Miles and Reese, if you can have a think you know and particularly you Miles living through it you know so for Dan and Reese, you know start with you Dan what things did you do and equally it's the stuff that you think I wish I'd have done I think that would have helped my mental health anything you've mentioned exercise um anything else you'd like to add yeah exercise was very helpful and I had a walk or a run most days I thought um that actually I found reading quite helpful reading books reading novels it sort of distracted me a lot and watching television just listening to music anything that to help me relax really and and making sure I did those things and sort of things that would take me sort of with reading it sort of takes you into another world or something it distracts you so that was really helpful and uh, uh, also I did keep in touch with friends and talk during lockdown I couldn't meet them when, initially but I did when I could meet them I made sure I did meet them I would talk yeah. to them and share how, how I was feeling and talk to my brother-in-law and, and make sure that dialogue even though when we couldn't meet, I'd, I'd talk to them on the phone. And when we could meet, I really tried to meet my friend. Well, when we could meet during lockdown, the actual weekly meeting I had with my friend made a huge difference to me. That I knew I would see him. I'd go for a walk. I'd go for a coffee when that was allowed. That actually seeing him, looking forward to that, was a real big thing in my week, really. You know. Yeah, thank you, Dan. You you made me think as well. It's so important to not dwell on the subject matter like you've said because mm. the temptation could be not necessarily saying but our loved ones unwell um that's for you with your mum you know it's cancer you could be reading books about cancer you could be researched on the internet about mm-hmm. cancer you could talk to friends about cancer like I think it's so important like variety is the spice of life as they say to have these different activities and something you've just reminded me of so with me obviously I have my mum you know and who's in very good health still is and we'd almost, um, tag team's not quite the, the right word, but, you know, got to the point where my dad, he, he could not be left alone at all. And it got to the point where we knew he was going to go into permanent care. It was just too, too, too unwell to stay at home. And I was starting to look for jobs. And I can remember a job came up and the deadline was when it was. And my mum was due to go um, into York she lives out you know rurally obviously we're York ending stigma we're based in York um she's out um in the countryside she was so it was quite a round trip like almost a day trip to go and have her hair cut and coloured and all the rest of it and this deadline for this particular job was that day or like the day after and it I'd I'd obviously you know chosen to give up my work and was looking and it was hard because I wanted something to be out in the rural area I didn't want to be commuting to York every day and a job came up I had the skills and all the rest of it. And my mum said, and I meant, I almost didn't mention it because I didn't want to like, I thought there's no way I can do this job application. My dad's so unwell. He's just going to be talking at me the whole time. A bit like Reese with the, what time is it? What day is it? I thought there's no way I can do this. And my mum actually said, I'll cancel my hair appointment and I will spend the day with your dad. So it, it's about getting support from others as well. I think to allow 
you know, we've got to live our lives. So I think I'm just so glad it was random that I brought it up, um, you know, to my mum. So I think there's something about what you said about connecting with friends, Dan, and on different subject matters and things. I think it is so important. Uh, it's that talking. I think for me, the takeaway would be letting more people know my situation, but thinking about, like I do for my mental health, the positive purpose, what am I sharing and why? Am I having a rant and being angry? Obviously, historical sense. Am I angry that I've chosen to leave my job to care for my dad? And, you know, why? Like, what's the purpose? What am I seeking? You know, do I need help? Do I need support? Do I need emotional support? I've become a lot more reflective over time. Um, And sometimes I didn't know what I needed. You know, that's the other thing. So I think it's very complicated. But in a similar way to you, the running and and the walking you mentioned, I was really, really lucky again. Um, My mum was um, at home with my dad. I'd gone out for the run, backcountry lanes, no pavement, you know, six mile hour lanes. This car actually pulled over and stopped. And someone got out and started talking. And I stopped. I was literally like, are you okay? And honestly, it was in the middle of nowhere. And this woman was like, oh, you seem like you're a fast runner. Um, We're from this running club, you know, in the next town along. Do you want to join? And I literally took their card and it had a mobile number or whatever. It took me a long time to pluck up the courage to get in contact with them. And I was very open and honest. And I said, I'm living at home with parents. My dad is unwell. I might be unreliable. I'm not being flaky because boy, do people take it personally if you don't turn up to things. They don't think that you might have your own stuff going on in your life. They assume that you don't like them, don't want to join their club. So I made it clear from the start, and I'm so glad I did. I was open and honest. I said, yeah, I'd love to. Had the conversation with my mum. It was in the evening, you know, twice a week, whatever. And it was that mutual support that enabled me to do that running, which is so beneficial for my mental health. And if my mum hadn't have been, you know, if my dad had been on his own for whatever reason, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I, I recognise and I'm very thankful that I was in a team with my mum. Um, whereas Dan, it sounds for you, you were living alone with your mum, but still, which I think gives the hope for our listeners, you still managed to do some of the activities. You managed to do your reading, you managed to go out, you managed to keep in contact with your friends despite lockdown. Um, I think that's really important. And I think, Dan, is there anything else you want to add as to what to help to keep you mentally well whilst you were caring? Or should we open it up? Go on, yeah, go on, Dan, if there's more. Uh, probably I was drinking yeah. a bit of alcohol and my diet was poor. So looking back, that yeah. probably didn't help. So um, when, when she died, I managed to live a bit more healthily, but that probably had a negative impact, my actual sort of... But I did counter that with exercise. So I could have had a bit of a healthier lifestyle, which looking back, if I have similar circumstances again, I can maybe change that anyway. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, Dan, like, again, with a bit of reflection, you know, we can be quite hard on ourselves, can't we, as individuals? Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know what, you need a takeaway, you need a whatever, you're caring, it's stressful, there's a lot on. It's yeah. all about balance, isn't it? So, yeah, it's what you think might have been an atrocious lifestyle. I've got no idea. Maybe it was. But the fact mm-hmm. that you were walking daily, running da- daily, would suggest to me you were actually looking after your health. But I, I get it. I know where you're coming from. You think... And your point being, yeah, a, a healthy diet helps us mentally as well. So um, I'm just thinking, so Miles, you've heard um, quite a few things from myself and Reese and from Dan as to what we do. Big old mix, exercise, mindfulness, talking, asking for help. Are the things that we've not mentioned, Miles, that you do that helps your mental health whilst in your caring role? Yeah, I think, Emma, for me, something I currently do, because I think I mentioned earlier that um, it's a four-hour round trip for me to get to see mum. But what Ooh, I do yeah. is when I'm on public transport, I actually put my headphones on and I listen to some music so that it settles my head ready for going to see mum. So when I arrive at mum, my head's in a decent place. And then I do what I need to do on the visit and etc. But then if it's been a great one, that's fantastic. But when I'm coming home, I also put my headphones on again because it then resettles me or if I need to sort of just reflect I can just delve myself if you like into some music and it kind of takes it away so I set the scene by going to mum's and then I reset my scene 
coming back to get on with what I need to do for the rest of that day or afternoon or whatever. So I just find that I, rather than have that sort of spend time looking out the window on the bus or whatever, um, I just sort of use that time in a more practical way. But it's kind of setting and resetting my my own head. Um, yeah. And I find that so I can pick a different album, depending on how I'm feeling. I can just uplift myself if I'm going on to something. But but talking about what other people have said as well is I'm very fortunate with the with the stuff I do through the day. Um, I'm able to share with the people that I work alongside and they're very understanding. And I have the flexibility that if something can't get done, you know, on a particular time, there's that understanding that I will do it, but I might just be doing it at nine o'clock in that evening instead of the four o'clock deadline that we said we were going to do. So I'm very fortunate that I have that understanding and that flexibility in what I do outside of caring for mum. Because, you know, those people have had their own experiences, not necessarily as carers, but, you know, life throws lots of things at. So we're very, very flexible in the way that we operate and the work that we do. So I benefit from that as well. But but yeah, the main bit for me, for mum and the caring bit, is I use music to set my tone so when I arrive with her, I'm calm and reflective and able to listen. And then when I'm leaving back, I reset again just so that I can get back into the groove of whatever I need to do. Yeah, thanks, Matt. And I've picked a couple of things I've picked up on those sort of two main points that you made. One that's really interesting about the music, setting the tone on the way before and after, not something I'd thought about, not something I'd done. So, so that sounds really helpful. Mm. The only other thing I was thinking, though, is for me, and interestingly, I never did this in the role of kind of caring for my dad, but certainly when it comes to looking after myself and my own mental health, denial, glossing over things. And it's kind of, I just, and you weren't saying this at all, you're using it as a, a positive tool um, to, to set your frame of mind in a positive and you certainly weren't using it you didn't describe it as oh I've had a difficult visit with my mum gonna blast myself with music and forget about it and you didn't say that at all but it made me think there's a potential that people might so I just wanted to I'm just adding it into the mix just to say that oh it just made me think of not when I was caring for my dad but certainly caring for my or trying to care for myself and my own mental health I thought oh my goodness um you make a very fair point there Emma yeah yeah and then the only other thing was when you said about um, flexibility, it just brought me all the way back to what Reese said at the start about expectations, mm-hmm. expectations, expectations from self, self. And I think it's that boundary setting. So I think both um, really valid points, Miles. And like I can see, I think Reese, you want to add something or say something different, but go ahead. Yeah, it's just when and Miles mentioned music um, brought yeah. back a memory for me because when my mum had her had entered hospital yeah. at the end end stage of her Alzheimer's and dementia, every morning when I was driving in to be with my mum in the hospital, I would as I was coming into the car park. It, I would play All You Need Is Love by the Beatles really loud just to give me the strength to get through that day sitting in the hospital. Oh, interesting. So similar, sort of a similar technique. I don't know if technique is the right mm. word because, you know, we live our life as human beings. I, mm. I don't like to think of my life mm. as a series of techniques because I'm just living it kind of thing. But mm. for want of a better word, that's really interesting. Did you do anything on the way home? Just out of interest? Yes, really? yes. Um, yeah. When I'd leave, so I'd leave the hospital, but I'd get to the hospital about 8 a.m. and then I'd leave about 8 p.m. And um, I played, I just sat in the car park and played All You Need Is Love all the way through. Oh, okay. But it took me five years after my mum's passing to be able to listen to that song again without being emotional or bringing back memories. I mean, yeah. just as an aside, you know when we used to clap for the NHS yes. way back when? So I've got this guitar amplifier. So with permission from my wife, when we were doing the clapping, I was able to play all you need is love through my amplifier so everybody on the street could hear it as we were clapping. 
I was just about to say, I don't understand why you need permission from your wife. And then you just went the entire street. I thought, okay, because <laughs> obviously you're a free human being to do what you want. But it's like, yeah, disturbing the people. You don't want them bringing up the police going, oh, our neighbour's doing this. <laughs> but that's such a lovely thing, Reese. And that it sounds to me, and I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it sounds to me as though you've used that music in a really positive way. And although you yeah. said it took you a long time to be able to hear that without being mm. emotional, it sounds to me as like, you know, I mentioned right at the start about being in a state of peace and acceptance mm. with where I'm at. And again, I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you are, are sort of coming towards that. Because it's for you, Reese. when you said about you knew nothing about mental health, a situation happened with your mum, you became a carer, you know, it's unexpected. Do you feel it's linked? I don't know. Do you feel like your mental health is now back to the state as where it was I think from a couple of things you briefly mentioned on this podcast I don't think it is because you've talked about you now being cared for mm. because of your mental health you brought that up near the start of the podcast so I'm just interested because for those of our listeners you know for myself and Miles mm. and Dan we said we struggled with our mental health for a very very long time it it doesn't it, you know our caring roles have had impacts on our mental health positively and negatively but for you Reese, because the trigger for want of a better mm. word for your mental health breakdown, again, that might not be a word you choose to use, I'm not sure, was so strongly tied to your caring role. Do you also feel, and again, people feel very differently about these words, sort of recovery. um, Where do you feel now, if you don't mind? Sure. I mean, I've gone through cycles of recovery through different things. So, like, there was a trigger a couple of years ago that really brought me down and then I'd bounce back up and be what a normal-ish, whatever normal is. Because yeah. I'd have no idea what normal is anymore. <laughs> You're not asking the right person but, here, <laughs> but, uh, but that, But it's different things. Because at the moment, I've got severe physical pain, which therefore severely impacts my mental health. Yeah. And But I'm in a position where, because I've been through my first experience I know to contact the NHS I know which department to do which forms to fill out who to speak to how to actually describe where my mental illness is yeah I think that's really important because you were coming from that place of no experience in terms of your own Mm. mental ill health um, yeah, I was just inter- interested rather mm. than just to see. But then you mentioned, of course, life. It, it's different mm. contributory factors. And you, and when you were talking about the chronology of what happened with your mum, there was no mention of pain at all then. So I'm assuming, rightly mm. or wrongly, that the pain is something that's happened either yeah. since you became a carer or since your mum was passing. So it's different thing. So I'm just really, yeah, yeah I was just yeah. I- interested as to whether you know, because I've always struggled with my mental health and I'm always looking for it to, I would love to be mentally well, whatever that is. So I'm always kind of picking people's brains and say, well, what's the secret? What's the secret? And of course there is no secret. And if there was, you know, I'd be a millionaire. Um, so I was just really interested there, Risa. Thank you for, for sharing your, your personal experience with that. I do appreciate it. Just having a look at the time and these podcasts, boy, does it fly by, certainly does for me. Um, so we're getting to the end. What I will do is just... Ask each of you in turn if there's anything you either haven't had a chance to say on the subject of mental health and being a carer or any kind of summary or take home message. Um, so I will be coming to you, Miles, and then Dan and then Reese. So Reese, you've got a bit more thinking time. <laughs> um, but Miles, any sort of further thoughts or, or takeaway, especially because you currently are a carer? Yeah, I think it's been really, really informative for me um, because I've been able to sort of listen to quite a few different angles and and it gives me some stuff to to think about as and when it occurs moving forward. But um, I guess the thing for me is is try not to beat myself up um, in terms of expectations. As long as I try and do the best I can to the best of my ability, then that's good enough. Um, because it comes from the heart um, and I will make errors or I will make mistakes but if I'm just trying to do the best I can then that's all I can really do. Yeah thank you Miles. 
Dan, anything else you'd like to yeah, add on? That makes me think it just reminds me it's important to be kind to yourself as a carer and to look after yourself, do things you enjoy, see your friends if you can. That's really important. So it keeps you well, keeps you helps you to care. But that time for yourself, being kind to yourself, enjoying yourself, if you I think that's really important, really, really to sort of stay hold of that, really, you know. Yeah, I agree. And, and thank you for that, Dan. Reese, anything you want to add or any key message? Yeah, I think the, my key message would be if you're in, if you're being a carer, look for external support. I eventually contacted like Dementia Forward, were brilliant in supporting me with an admiral nurse. Um, I'd look now if I'm looking back now, if I knew then I'd look at the what um, services your local mind can support can provide you. Um, also the carer center and speak to your GP um, about mental health support because you're in a very difficult situation which is a long term. It is something that we know has an end to it, but that end could be a long, long way away. Yeah, thank you, Reese, And thank you to the three of you. That was really succinct. And I agree what each of you said. And I think really the key things are, you know, be kind to yourself, seek support for yourself, so seek support for the caring situation. So whatever illness or situation or disability, whatever it is, is to educate ourselves, isn't it? And Reese, like you said, in the case for you, you know, Dementia Forward. So there's all sorts of different charities and professional bodies and supports out there. But often we don't necessarily think about contacting them. We don't, we want to do a thing on our own. So I think, yeah, that's everything the three of you have just said, um, well, and throughout the whole podcast, really, really important. It is about that communication, speaking out, ask for support, use the support. And I think, Dan, you hit the nail on the head with, and look after yourself. It's so important. We can't care for anyone if we're not caring for ourselves. And I think um, that will bring us to the end of our podcast episode today. So I want to say a huge thank you again to you, Miles, to you, Dan, and to you, Reese. And finally, a big thanks to you, our listeners. Thank you for listening. Thank you.